Welcome on, thank you for tuning in to the Battle Over FC podcast, the podcast focusing on the pro soccer, the DMV, and across the United States. My name is Jose Wanya, sports writer for Sports Post, and joining me as always, a very confused Mario Mario from Tivo Latino, because I randomly started this podcast very suddenly. So, Mario, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Um... You know, caught me off guard on the on the start of the podcast, but it's fine. We can adapt. And for the most part, it's been a good weekend. At least one team I support that ends with the United with United on its name. One. I know, right? I'm sorry that Scumfield United didn't do it for you. Hey, Harry Maguire is 70 million pounds of terribleness, but that's a whole different story for another day. Yeah, we won't talk about Manchester United, but we will talk now about DC United because thanks to Bill Hamid's seven-save shutout performance, DC United prevailed over Cincinnati 1-0, stunning everybody, including us, who came away last week saying this should be an easy victory because on paper, United was the better squad to a confusing Cincinnati team. However, the Cincinnati team that we all believe on paper could possibly get it done in MLS appeared out shooting DC United seven to two on shots on accuracy. However, he made all his saves, whereas DC United was able to get a last minute penalty. Thanks to Ola Kamara converting after a VAR review upheld a change the decision from a handball in the box. Before we get in the nitty-gritty, Mario, your thoughts on the result? And did United escape with an undeserved victory? Yes, they escaped with an undeserved victory. We, I can, I can safely say that right now because the way the game was going, if Cincinnati were a little more on target, Cincinnati could have won this game easily 3-1. to one. But, you know, sometimes results aren't, the way you get him, but they got three points out of out of nowhere, and yeah, they, they didn't really deserve it, but they got the job done. A 301, mind you, that we all thought would be the other way around. United has been traditionally a very good team against Cincinnati that seems to be very out of sorts whenever they play United. I don't know what it is about Cincinnati. On paper, they have a roster, in my opinion, against MLS's best. You know, they have a lot of speed on the flanks. They have a lot of speed up top. Lucho Costa looks more involved than he does he did back when he was playing for DC. However, I mean, we could talk about it now. The first half, outside from the it was just a back and forth first half where both teams were trading shots. I thought Andy Nahar for the second game in a row started off really off kilter. They were attacking a lot on his side, which forced him to have to go track back a little more, which was something that he would get caught off a lot in. I felt like the back line got attacked hundreds of times, and that was because of the miscommunication on the center of the midfield. You had Drew Scunridge back for game two with Moses Nyman. I felt Moses in this game compared to the last game, you really saw his his lack of maturity, if you will, where he was ball watching a lot, not really focused on staying positioned, um, not helping the back line when they needed to, if he needed to drift back a bit, not helping and maintaining possession and keeping the press up. Had Cincinnati scored their goals, United would have been down and out in the opening 45, in my book. And then in the next 45, 
They switched to a 4-2-3-1, which Hernan Lozada confirmed in the postgame, which to me didn't solve anything. <laughs> I felt like it didn't solve anything at all. If I anything, feel like the same kinks we talked about from the Charlotte game are still there. Like, I feel their passing was very off. And there are several several instances, in particular, Juice Scrundridge trying to play the ball back. There were pretty bad passes, and Lucho Acosta was able to catch catch DC United's defense off guard. But the one thing I think I kept telling you throughout the game was, my God, FC Cincinnati could not be any more off target in this game. No, and- they were awful. <laughs> I was like, God, like if they were better, if they had better, uh, if they had better, like luck shooting the ball again, they they would have won this game. But Brandon Vasquez and Dominic and Dominic Baji in particular had a good amount of opportunities. And they, they never buried them. There were a couple, yeah, not to interrupt, but there were a couple where Bill didn't make the work, had to make a ground save especially with Vasquez in the second half, where Bill just shows why he is a blessing to have and why United should be happy to still have him on their side. I just want to say real quick, the only bright light in this performance, because there weren't many, was Brad Smith. I felt like Brad Smith was the top performing player on the field outside of Bill. Obviously, Bill was the reason why they won because he kept the shutout. But I thought Brad Smith was the only point of offense that they had. So he opened the first half with a great run. It just needed to be capped off by Griffin Yao. We're getting there. We're getting there. What I say? What I say? What I say? Radashenko 2.0, if he doesn't start converting, he's man. Hey, man, he had a shot where it could have been in, but the ball got cleared out of the line. Yeah. Don't, don't scare me in such a way, because you may have a point there. Uh, uh, Edison Flores, um, bro, you had Michael Estrada over, kind of overlapping your run on your off Pass yeah. it. Don't be selfish. But you decided to hit it with your weaker foot, and that ball roll, yeah. rolled out. It was at the Kentucky State line by the end of the game. That should have been cooked with his with his left foot inside, maybe a point to force the keeper to have to guess if you're going to try to nutmeg him or go left to his side, the minimum you're getting is a corner. If you're going to try and drag it with your right, which is like you said, your weaker foot, there's a huge chance that you were going to kick it out of bounds. Um, for those who saw the uh, Barcelona game today, with Elche, there was a similar play where the player decides, I'm going to kick it with to the right side, my right, his left. But he hit it in such a tight angle that the keeper guessed wrong and the ball went in the net. According to ESPN, that had a 6% chance of, of making it. Same play sit the day before in Cincinnati. If we already know it's 6%, Go with your best foot and try to at least get the corner out of it. Like, I didn't understand that play at all. And I feel, once again, Edison Flores was invisible the whole game. 
mostly the whole second half to be a, a lot more blunt. But, yeah, he was pretty invisible for the most part. But uh, uh, there, there is a, 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 a little bit of a shining light coming off the bench in Sofian Jafal. He did pretty decent. Uh, he came in for, I want to say, was it Juice Gunridge in the second half? I believe and, so. And he he pretty much was able to not say command command the play but on the field, but he defended pretty well and was able to do what he had to do. I think he he's someone to look for out for. And, you know, Ola Kamara scores a goal from Ola Kamara's kind of range from the penalty spot. Well, let's 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 go for those who didn't watch those final 10 minutes in the 79th minute. Um, Moses Nyman gets called for a foul. He's going for a 50-50 ball where he's going up, studs up. Him and Lucho both going studs up, but he catches Lucho on his ankle. Um, both going for a bouncing ball, and Lucho sells it really well. Can't lie there. Originally, he wasn't getting a card. He got a um, yellow card originally. Oh, originally, he got a yellow card. And then went to VAR. I kind of got to give credit to uh, Moises Linardis on it on the Spanish broadcast. It's a 50-50 ball. If you're going to call this, every you got to call every 50-50 ball in favor of the offensive player. Like In slow motion, it's always going to look bad to the defender. It's going to look like the defender's careless, but when you watch in real time, like it's clear that they're both just going for a 50-50 ball. Should have been a state of yellow instead. The referee switched it to a red. Are you with the ref on the switch? I think if whenever you're going to that one on VAR, it's going to be switched. Do I agree with the call? No, but the moment you go to VAR for that, they're always going to call it. I don't agree with the call. I mean, they were going for the ball. It was 50-50. But, yeah, once they went to VAR, I kind of figured, oh, Moses Nyman's getting a red because the play was, yeah, his studs up. Lucho kind of sold it pretty well. There wasn't much you could do about it after that, afterwards when he went to VAR. So, yeah, I agree. It's not, it's not a, a red cardable offense. I understand why the referee decided to finish it, go back to look at it, and eventually give Moses the red because you did go studs up at nine times out of ten. When you use your studs, you get a red card. But it wasn't – it's not the best call in the world, but also I see why they decided to switch the call. You know, like when they say they don't want to let just have our referees go – offside calls and and certain calls like that because they're judgment call. I feel like this is a 50-50 ball. You see it live. You you don't think it's reviewable because it's 50-50. And I think you, you like pointed out by when he says, you end up having to now live up to this standard and anything that's questionable, we're going to have to call it. And then we ended up having it 15 minutes later where – uh, Edison Flores is looking to make cross, I think, to kill time. Because United would have left with a draw. It was a counterattack. It's going to cross the ball into the box. And 
Jeff Cameron with his hands in an unnatural position. Gets the ball. It bounces off his right shoulder, right arm. That is a handball according to rules. His arms are in an unnatural position. Is it a tic-tac? Like, I, they're always going to call that, especially if they go to VAR. Again, similar thing. But it's one of those where I was fine if they wouldn't have called it. I get that it's at the end of the day. It's a soft handball. Soft, yeah. It's super soft. It's like it's a handball because it is a handball. But c- considering the situation, I don't know if I would have called. I, I think that's where I'm with Cincinnati fans here against my own black and red judgment because – Again, we're going to apply the same ethics that we are doing with with the Moses Nyman call, then fine. Then, yes, it's a handball. But because I want better refereeing in the future, I just don't agree with the call. And so we got the handball. We got the VAR call. And Ola Kamara, who came in as a sub, Seems to be lethal at my spot. Freaking scores in the second goal of the season. Now leads all goal scores in D.C. United once again. And D.C. United escapes with a 1-0 victory. Man, Ola Kamara than the penalty spot or better love story than the notebook. God, that's for sure. <laughs> well, yeah, this, this should... I, I think if you'd have let the play go, like I would have been fine with it. You're going to escape with a point. But, you know, if you went to VAR for the Moses Nyman call, I'm not surprised you decided to go to VAR for this call. But it's a very soft handball at the end. But at the end of the day, they said they saw something there and they decided, yo, let's go look at it one more time. And also one of the best jokes I saw on Twitter was Jeff Cameron bested by the left wing again. But, you know, I do think that DC United towards the end did look better. I saw some quotes from Hernan at the press conference saying, you know, once we changed our shape, got to that four, two, three, one, put in Donovan Pines in the 80th, put Chris Adui Adson because of the red, it just created more stability in the back. And I felt that honestly, Cincinnati didn't take advantage of the shots early. And then after the red card, their offense seemed flailing. But United did a – I mean, not to be too too doom and gloom. I think defensively in those final 20, they really steered the ship. And hopefully with Canals returning, um, they will have more stability in the back. I do think this team – is missing another center midfielder who could play that defensive center midfielder role. Um, those used to be something that the U.S. created a lot of. Now it seems like there's a dearth in that position. So I do think that if there's one thing before they go out and get that signature DP signing that keeps being rumored that they want to get done this summer, I do think that United needs to think about what's going to be like what could, what other additions could they make, and especially in that position because they're lacking the depth. Especially if Moses is struggling off the break, we we expected them to struggle. We expected him to struggle, but I feel 
Like, now you have him out. Russell Knauss is injured. Drew Scudridge is not 100%. He's not 100%. Capable. Yeah, capable. I just, I, I, they need more depth in that book, specifically. Right. And I think they're going to try out Sophia and Jafal in that game. Right. But if they can help it, Russell Knauss comes back. But, but it's something they need to address. And it's something that you lost once Felipe and Junior Moreno left. Because Felipe was your depth in that center defensive mid, midfield. Junior Moreno was the captain of that ship in that position along with Russell Knauss. So once you lose those two, you kind of lose lose someone that could take charge of that position and you lose some depth all at the same time. And also, for those of you that thought Benny Ball was dead, well, no, it's alive and well in the first two games of this season. Well, it's really, like, again, for those who don't remember what Hernandez said, they want to be entertaining, but they're not going to care about possession. And I do think people forget about that because at the towards the end of the season, United dominated a lot of possession in the final set of matches um but remember how the season started last year united gave away a lot of possession because it's more of a pressing game they're looking to create turnovers out of um out of midfield so they can have a high line and then attack uh through the middle and through space um and then create crosses as well for their strikers as well i think one thing of offense i will be concerned about is julian gressel's out seemed like the focal point of the offense was going to be Julian Gressel this year because they wanted him to kind of take that mantle from Paul Ariola, be more of this, this guy. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. Be more of that uh, cis guy this year like he was last year. But um, he got injured towards halftime, right before a half. We did confirm it was a hip check thanks to... Dave Johnson in the English commentary uh, by Junior Moreno to Junior Gressel for a header. And that's interesting to see a former teammate knock you out like that. We don't know the status. They didn't say anything in the press conference. So what could be a possible solution for Julian Gressel if he has to be out? Oh. I would have to say playing Griffin Yao a little bit back in that position, pulling him out in the wing. Uh, if you get Nigel Roberta back, you'd have to uh, start Michael Estrada and Nigel Roberta. But given how Michael Estrada played, was kind of non-existent throughout this game, you could be playing Ola Kamara on top and playing uh, Flores and, and Griffin Yao on the wing for uh, Saturday against Chicago. I'm going to steal an idea here from the commentary team. Um, Luciano Emilio brought this up. If you're going to play with a three-back, you have Donovan Pines sitting on the bench, capable center back. We saw him the past four, three seasons with United. He was a starter with Ben before an injury. Um, he And then he's been in and out of the lineup since. He's capable of a starter. He knows how to play the three-back. That's what he played at Maryland. Why not bring him along and have Andy play up in the in the wings 
as a natural midfielder, like he came up in D.C., like he played in Europe, so that he can work together with Griffin now. I feel like if you let Andy patrol the midfield versus having to come back as playing that third center back role, I feel like teams know that now. But if you put Andy in the midfield, there's going to be more one-on-one opportunities that he can break for versus if he's playing as in that center back role where he's coming up and the winger has to drift back to make sure his spot is covered. I feel like teams now know that's going to happen, and that's what's causing the struggle so far this season. Right. It also creates a new, also creates new kind of worry for your opponents if you're playing Andy in the midfield. Because with his pace, he's able to take on your best defenders one-on-one, and he's able to beat them. While as you're playing him as a third center back, if he tra- if he goes up and doesn't track back, you're kind of leaving both Brandon Heinzeich and uh, Steve Birnbaum exposed to a lot more counterattacks uh, on the defensive side of the ball because Andy Nohar is pressing pressing up a little higher on the lines along with Brad Smith. Yeah, so hopefully we'll get some more news on the Gressel injury front um, as the week progresses. We'll obviously keep an eye on it, but everyone's going to be looking at that Chicago game as a possible, you know, we want to see improvement. And I think I speak for a lot of the fan base. And Mario, you kind of just referenced it in the beginning there. This was an undeserved victory. It, all the elements of undeserved victories, but they got it. It screams a lot of that 1-0 victory against Vancouver where they have one shot, one goal, Montreal. and defended. In Montreal, excuse me, against Montreal. They had one shot, one goal, and defended for about 80 minutes after that. Yeah, only difference is they had a shot on goal and involuntarily ended up defending for about 70 minutes of the game. And then they got and they got that last-minute goal off a penalty kick. And the funny thing when the, with the Chicago game is Chicago isn't looking so hot themselves, even though they got two scoreless draws. They, their attack looks a little rusty. But then again, you have Sheridan Shakiri on your team, and he's kind of a difference maker. So this should be a pretty interesting matchup going into yeah. it on Saturday. Yeah, and because of that Shakiri factor, that's where I'm concerned defensively. And hopefully Russell Knauss will be healthy and ready to go. Um, if not, DCI is going to have a serious problem in the middle of the field without Moses Nightman, without Russell Knauss. So <laughs> let's just say it, like, it's early in the season, but... If you really want to see DC United's death issues, <laughs> Saturday against Chicago may be a test on that front. Um, just one more uh, topic before we head out, and that is the U.S. Soccer Federation president elections were this weekend, and Cindy Parlocone, former U.S. Women's National Team player, wins re-election, or her first election, actually, coming up with 52% of the vote on the first ballot. She beat Carlos Cordero, the former Golden and Sachs partner, uh, advisor to 
<laughs> FIFA president Johnny Fantino and former U.S. soccer president who resigned after legal filings claiming that the U.S. women's national team players had less physical abilities than their male counterparts. He ran again supposedly because state federations told me I could do a better job than what was going on currently with Cindy Parlocone. He still got 46% of the vote, which is still stunning, but that tells you what state association power is. Mario, what are you, just quickly, you know, what are your thoughts on the election and how it came out and Cindy Parlocone being U.S. soccer president again? I guess 53% listened to this episode last week. Remember, if you don't read, you can't lead. I thought I told you this already. <laughs> this is something that should be applied to anything you're running for the presidency for, whether it be U.S. soccer, whether it be PTA, whether it be the presidency of the United States of America. If you don't read, you can't lead. Oh, before you continue, for those who don't know, it is being alleged I, I can't speak for Carlos Cordero. He's, he's responded saying he's never seen it. Oh, that's a, so what's being alleged is um, in one of these NWSL coaches abuse candles, players, one Kristen Press sent a letter saying she was concerned about one of the coaches. And Carlos Cordero said, I never seen the letter. Um, even though there are versions of the letter available to everyone to see. So Carlos Cordero, and Carlos Cordero was, according to everyone we know, knew about the situation in Portland and didn't do anything, and it's all just a mess. I can see all y'all looking up, but there is allegedly evidence to suggest that Carlos Cordero never did anything about these abuse scandals in the NWSL. Yep, hence the hence the slogan: "Don't read, can't re- don't read, can't lead." But <laughs> all serious, but in all seriousness, though, um, it, it's fascinating that the state <clears throat> that the states have this amount, this much amount of uh, this amount of power. I think this was weirdly enough the same situation when Cordero got elected in 2018. They wielded a cert, they wielded that certain amount of power that they had to get him elected or to sway the votes a little bit. But I think this time around, I think especially considering that Sidney Parlo Cohn was overlooking uh, certain big deals or certain deals like the settlement with the U.S. Women's National Team recently for equal pay and the big multi, the big multi uh, or the big deal that they've got with Turner sports for, for broadcasting rights in English. I'm guessing that was one of those main factors that said, Hey, if Sydney Parlo code could do this, done get this done as the interim U S soccer president, she could get this done if she did it in a more permanent basis. Whereas, I think the state the state associations were kind of just running on this like old old school mentality saying Carlos Cordero could do a better job. I'm not saying this. This is more of my of my personal opinion. They're kind of leaning in and a little more of a misogynistic kind of a kind of a, a kind of mindset in a way. 
that that's again just my opinion on the matter. I don't know exactly what's going on, but I think that's what swayed Sidney Parlow Cohn to win the election was just the results of the of the settlement with the women's national team and getting a big time uh, broadcasting deal done. Well, one thing to keep in mind, and for those who don't know how this works, so 20% youth, adult, and pro councils each receive 20% of the vote. Uh, the remaining 6.7% go to um, other trustees, so they'll be your commissioners of MLS, NWSL, et cetera, et cetera. And then the players council or the athletes council is one third of the vote. Thanks to a law signed by um, Congress that allowed them to be a higher percentage than they were before, um, which meant that they had a bigger slice of the vote. And they normally vote as a block. And this tells me that, based on the numbers, this tells me that they have the block. The block voted in favor of Silly Paracone because. You know, they're, they're still all both the men's and the women's national teams are going through CBA negotiations. Seems like they like what that's what's going on right now. Obviously, the settlement with the equal pay is a big deal. But I do think um, you have to remember the ill will that was gained with Carlos Cordero during his tenure as president. But the ill will is now to be Parlo Cohn's direction. She's going to have to work. The ill will is not even coming from the pro players. It's coming from the states associations that rely on money for, from U.S. soccer to do their programs. So if I would love to know my state association, for example, Maryland, you know, where did you vote? How did you vote? Obviously, these aren't public information. We just know the number tally. But it would be interesting to know how they voted your local to see what what funding do they believe is missing? Because one of Carlos Codero's arguments was, hey, they're saying that the money cut during COVID has yet to return. And you kind of brought it up. If I'm looking at a media rights deal. That's going to change the way that soccer's broadcast, especially the U.S. men and women's on Turner Sports, and it's a nice deal where you're going to have games on HBO Max and things like that, then I'm wondering where's the money going? And obviously, U.S. Soccer is a nonprofit, so we're going to be able to see where the money's going in the future. But I think a lot of people are wondering, is that money going back to the state associations, the money that was cut? Will we get the money that we could have gotten in 2020 and 2021? So... I'm kind of curious on that front, but I do kind of lean your way and say the ill will that Carlos Cordero got from his previous administration has not left. All the women had publicly stated they put their support on Carlos. There was, I mean, against Carlos and for Cindy Parlacone. And so it was just the men that were remaining and Look, I don't, if I was a player, I'd be like, look, I don't know about World Cup preparation and all of that, but I do know this. You hire someone to do that. We got a lot of people in this country who stage large events all the time. That should not be hard. 
um, getting promotion for your small little leagues or whatever using World Cup. There are people who do that all the time. I think Cindy Parlacone just needs to get more people involved on the U.S. side of that World Cup 2026. I'm not a fan of having the women's event in 2028, as Carlos Cordero pitched. I wasn't a fan of that. Um, still not a fan of that. Won't be a fan of that. He can he can go enjoy his money somewhere else. I think this is one of those times where I'm happy to see a soccer person have a job in soccer. I think this country desperately needed it. Tired of the random executive here, there have it, or the former law school professor have it. Let's get some soccer people who know the game, know where the things that need to be fixed. Stop it with the political mess and nonsense that seems to follow all these federations, at least in our country. Like, let's get it out of the way. We'll fix the states' associations. Give Cindy, she's only had what, two two years? It has been pandemic related years. Right. Let's give let's give her some time to like work on these issues. And the pandemic is slowing down. We're going to do an epidemic soon, so it'll give her a chance to finally work with these states associations in a correct manner. Right. I think people that, that were like, Oh no, Carla, that I think the states associations just pretty much complaining about that. Like give it some time, you know, Sydney Parloco had a lot of her plate on her plate with the pandemic and stuff like that. So I think that she'll get it done. I got to agree with you. It, I'm glad to see it go to a soccer person instead of a Goldman and Sachs executive who had some real backwards thinking when it came to talking down to the women's national team, which is never a good idea. I feel like that's just a rule of thumb in life is you don't talk down to people to a certain amount to a certain group of people. But what do I know? Uh but yeah, it's it's good to see that Sydney Parlo Cohen's got that trust, and I'm can't wait to see what she actually does in, in her tenure as U.S. Soccer President. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that. Um, it happens, and like we said, I'm I'm interested in seeing where this media rights deal it starts this upcoming year after the World Cup games with all friendlies. And she believes cup matches um, moving. Oh, I just to... can't wait to see World Cup qualifiers on. Oh, no, wait, never mind. The following <laughs> year after 2026. I can't wait to see World Cup qualifiers on HBO Max. Well, you won't this World Cup cycle and you won't the next World Cup cycle because we're automatically in. But we'll, we'll see <laughs> where. We'll see how this works with friendlies and stuff. I do think it would, there's there's a potential for interviews and stuff like that that we don't, you know, we, we get a lot of it on YouTube from U.S. Soccer's YouTube account, but it'd be interesting to see the HBO aspect added to that. But until that point, that's enough for us today. So before we let you go, Mario, tell people where they can learn more about you. All right. Uh, before I do my Twitter intros, I just wanted to, kind of condemn a little bit the actions that happened in Mexico the uh, this weekend. Uh, I feel like nobody should be scared of their life 
for their life or their safety going to a soccer game. I, it, it, yeah, I'm just here to condemn it, to be honest with you. Don't really have much to say. Everything else that has already been said about the situation and what needs to be said has had to be said. I join with condemning these actions and hopefully those people responsible for such for such terribleness get dealt with uh, with uh, with the proper punishment. Over 20 people injured, three people still in critical condition after a match between Querétaro and Atlas ended uh, with a violent confrontation between rival fan bases video on social media showing fans being fighting, punching each other, bleeding, throwing things at each other, uh, families running scared, trying to hide their children and make sure they're okay. Uh, the goalkeeper for one of the teams trying to stop the fighting and trying to stop fans who are storming onto the field. It's no place for that. I don't, Mexico's had a weird relationship with their supporter groups or their barras. That's still something I'm learning about, but you know, the Mexican federations really worked hard to try and stop this violence from happening. Obviously I don't condemn it either. Um, it's, it's sad. It's sad that when a game can't be a game anymore, it's just the place where people go to fight. And we saw what happened in England when that became a deadly situation, but we saw when it was glorified in movies. But we also see the tragic tales of that where people die and no one deserves to die just because they're a rival fan of the opposing team. All around, like Zale, that people should be able to go to a football match and enjoy the game, enjoy the atmosphere, whether they're home or away. And this should never have happened. No, nah, and there, there's just no no room for it in the sport whatsoever. Yeah, real sad note to end. Uh, uh, but yeah. I, I guess now that we got the sad note out of the way, Pan, if you want to find out what I'm working, that's such a terrible transition, by the way. Yeah, we'll see how I do this. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a well, nice edit. But if you want to know what I'm working on or you just want to hear the reasons why we don't talk about Bruno is actually a song about Bruno Fernandez's performance in the Manchester Derby today, you can follow me on Twitter at MarioMaya1. You want to know what's going on in the world or in the DMV, you can follow Tiempo Latino too, at El Tiempo Latino on Twitter. You can go on their website, eltiempolatino.com. And if you just want to put some money in my pocket, you can definitely buy a hard copy newspaper at your local newsstand or at your local metro station today. Most definitely. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Jose underscore M underscore Mana for more. Special shout out as always to Kevin McLeod and Impotech for the intro of music. Remember, rate and subscribe as always. Anchor, Spotify, all your audio platforms. Thank you so much for tuning into the Bad Omers FC podcast. And we will talk to you. Adios. Adios.